Tomorrow, Monday, October the 20th, the Indonesian capital Jakarta will host a unique event. For the first time since the foundation of the Republic of Indonesia in 1945, a directly elected president will hand over power to another president directly elected by the Indonesian people. So inevitably there will be an array of world leaders in attendance when the recently elected Joko Widodo is inaugurated as the seventh president of Indonesia. The leader of the Thai military coup last May, new Prime Minister Prayut Chanucha, was expected to make his first appearance at a regional gathering, but it now appears he'll be represented by a deputy. Other ASEAN leaders in attendance will be the Sultan of Brunei, Hassan al-Balkia, Singapore Prime Minister Lee Hsien-Lung, and Malaysian Prime Minister Najib Tun Razak. A neighbourly leader will also be there, Papua New Guinea Governor-General Michael Ogio. One leader will come from the Caribbean, Haite President Laurent Lamotte. The man who almost certainly already ranks as the most peripatetic U.S. Secretary of State ever, John Kerry, will be there at the head of a delegation personally appointed by President Barack Obama. So will Canadian Foreign Minister John Baird and New Zealand Foreign Minister Murray McCulley. Japan will reportedly be represented by former Prime Minister and now Special Envoy Yasuo Fukuda, who has recently been trying hard to arrange a November summit meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Australia will send its Prime Minister Tony Abbott. But we have Australia to thank for the fact that there is an international get-together in Indonesia on this occasion. According to a fascinating, well-researched story in the Sydney Morning Herald, all these VIPs will have one thing in common. Not one of them will have received a formal invitation from the government of Indonesia. Agus Subagio, spokesman for the Indonesian People's Consultative Assembly, which runs the inauguration ceremony, confirmed the non-existent invites for the foreign guests. Quote, they come on their own initiative as expressed through their embassies, unquote. Evidently, there is no Indonesian tradition of making inaugurals into an international event. The initial decades of authoritarian dominance, first by Sukarno, then by Suharto, when presidential inaugurations in Indonesia were few and far between, perhaps explains why an Indonesian tradition of inviting foreign leaders did not develop. Instead, as the Sydney Morning Herald discovered, a tradition of foreign leaders inviting themselves has developed, appropriately only after Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono became the first Indonesian president to be directly elected by universal suffrage. That was in 2004. But President Yudhoyono did not send out any invitations to attend his inaugural. Apparently, then-Australian Prime Minister John Howard decided to invite himself in the hope that this would improve Australian-Indonesian relations. It did, but when Yudhoyono was re-elected and re-inaugurated in 2009, there was still no formal invitation sent out. So Kevin Rudd followed the Howard precedent and effectively invited himself. 
This year, Joko Widodo, beset by internal controversies, appears to have followed the Yuri Yono practice and not sent out any invitations. So Tony Abbott has again followed the Howard precedent. Both Indonesian and Australian sources have been cagey when asked about invitations, neither confirming nor denying them. An official in Widodo's transition team merely responded to an Australian inquiry by saying if Mr Abbott were to turn up, Javanese politeness would require that we accommodate him. In other words, do come if you want to. Incidentally, Joko Widodo is the man being inaugurated, not Jokowi, the nickname by which Widodo is known throughout Indonesia. One possible reason why the incoming Widodo administration has not sent out invitations is obvious. It has been harried ever since the election by the Indonesian non-acceptance of another tradition, the tradition that the loser in a democratic election gracefully gives way to the winner. In a rare moment of eloquence, President Yuriono perfectly described what should happen when the final result of an election is announced. Quote, Accepting defeat is noble. Congratulating the victor is beautiful. Unquote. But the defeated candidate, former army general, former Suharto son-in-law, Prabowo Subianto, was simply not listening. Neither then nor subsequently he did not congratulate Widodo. It is not even absolutely clear that he genuinely accepts Widodo's victory even today. Admittedly, this election set something of a precedent. It was not absolutely clear-cut that Widodo had won. Yudhoyono had won two presidential elections in 2004 and 2009 with over 60% of the total vote. Widodo's victory was obviously not as decisive. The exit polls predicted that Widodo would win by 52 to 48% of the total vote, but right from the end of voting, Subiento was insisting that he had actually won and there had been massing cheating by his opponents. But he utterly failed to prove either the miscounting or the cheating when he questioned the validity of the election before the Indonesian Constitutional Court. Subianto still failed to gracefully accept the verdict when on August the 22nd the court finally affirmed what the Indonesian Election Commission had already asserted that the Widodo Kala team had won by 53.15% of the total vote as against 46.85% for the Subianto Hatta ticket, a margin of 6.3% of the total vote or just over 8.4 million votes. For the last two months, Subianto has refused to concede either his defeat or Widodo's victory. It was even reported that he was trying to make Widodo's resignation from the governorship of Jakarta impossible, so that Widodo's accession to the presidency would be considered illegal. But Subianto's real motivation and his vindictiveness towards Widodo were best illustrated as he gathered a coalition of opposition parties in the old parliament, not the one elected earlier this year, and got it to destroy a crucial aspect of democratic Indonesia by eliminating the direct elections for provincial governors, regency chiefs and city mayors.
These elections had been instituted in the wake of the fall of Suharto, whose power rested on indirect elections in parliaments which he controlled. Without these direct elections, Widodo would not have risen from city mayor in Sorokata to Jakarta governor to national president. Abolishing them was widely and correctly seen as a naked power grab by a wounded political elite. For President Uriono, the Subianto anti-elections bill marked an indecisive end to a frequently indecisive presidency. Sir S.B.Y. was in New York at the United Nations when the bill was passed. He could have ordered his Democratic Party members to vote the bill down when his party's members asked him by text message for instructions. But he procrastinated once again, at least under subsequent pressure, possibly from the United States, SBY belatedly used his presidential authority to issue a temporary veto under which the bill could not take effect unless it was passed again by the next parliament. So the indications have been that Proboo Subianto is still fighting the election which he lost with a bitterness that has suggested that Jakarta politics could soon be riven by a domestic political cold war as a result of personal antagonism aroused by defeat. That was the looming prospect until last Friday, October the 17th, when President-elect Joko Widodo went for a walk in Keboyayan Baru, suburb in South Jakarta, and dropped in at Proboo Subianto's home. It was a sensational development with varied sensational press reports to match. I have not had time to evaluate all of these reports. Widodo did not ask any media to accompany him. This sober report from the Jakarta Post outlines the bare bones of the sensation. Quote, The meeting between Widodo and Subianto lasted 15 minutes. was the first between the two since the hard-fought presidential election in July. After the meeting, Proboo said he would not let their different political views divide the country. We have to unite because we are one nation, Proboo said afterwards. I have instructed my party and my supporters to support Joko Widodo and the government he will lead, he said. He said that during the meeting he told Jokowi that he would criticize him if he made a policy that burdened the people. Meanwhile, Joko Widodo said that his government would be ready to be monitored by Barboa because such monitoring would create a balance between the executive branch and the legislature. In my administration, there will be a party who will monitor, supervise and criticize. Everything is to the good. Thank you, Joko said. Jokowi then said he also wished Barboa, who turned 63 on Friday, a happy birthday. Proboo said he was honoured by Jokowi's visit. Unquote. Many's been the time when, faced with reporting a budding, bitter political rivalry somewhere in Asia, I've longed to hear a conversation like this. Was it just a spontaneous gesture or a carefully crafted political rapprochement? Where does it leave the two leaders? Will Proboo Subianto now abandon his party's efforts to abolish direct elections, including the direct election to the presidency?
Does he still seek to politically reattach Indonesia to its authoritarian past? Did this out-of-the-blue meeting merely mean that Subianto had belatedly done on October the 17th what he should have done on August the 22nd when the Constitutional Court reaffirmed the election result? Of course, the sensational but brief meeting also poses questions about Widodo's presidency. Was it a sign that Widodo, too, believes in the overwhelming importance that has often been attached to consultation and consensus in Indonesian political life? Or is it additional evidence that many of the Indonesians who voted for Widodo did so because they believed he was different and were absolutely right to do so? Or was Widodo acting in the way he did because he is certain that time is on his side, that the pressures of presidential power will soon bring him new allies in Parliament, thereby radically reducing the threat of an authoritarian restoration in Indonesian politics? At least in Widodo's case, we will soon get some answers when he is sworn in and delivers his inaugural speech in about 18 hours' time. Widodo is known as a rather hesitant and diffident public speaker, so it would be interesting to see if he has used the long gap between election and inauguration to brush up his style. Many of the self-invited foreign leaders will be waiting and watching for his comments on economics. What will he have to say on the growing trade deficit, on the reduction of the national fuel subsidy, which costs the Indonesian government around 30 billion US dollars every year? How will he view Indonesia's inadequate infrastructure, excessive corruption and a growing disparity between the rich and the poor, a disparity which is second only to China's in Asia? It's about management, Widodo has been quoted as saying about the presidency. How to plan, how to organise, how to decide actions. The most important thing in governance is management control. Surprisingly, Widodo will be the first Indonesian president to take office with prior experience in running a government. Yes, but can he iron out the current tensions in Indonesian politics?